1 Samuel chapter 16, page 226 in the Pew Bible. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outside appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, 
the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So as we come to look at uh, this passage from 1 Samuel, let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, you're the one that brought the sun up this morning uh, in all its splendour and glory. And Lord, unless you bring the sun up in our hearts, then we're in darkness. So please, Lord, um, bring beautiful brightness and truth and light to our lives uh, through your word and through this word, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been a part of something that uh, is a new initiative, something that you're really, really excited about, and maybe your heart's riding really high and you think, now things are going to change. The future's going to look really, really, really good after this. In fact, uh, you think to yourself, God's fingerprints are all over this. Uh, This thing is really going to take off. And then, much to your distress, uh, things go pear-shaped. The wheels fall off. And you're so, so, so disappointed. Where was God? Where was God? Why did he let this happen? And you're shocked and you're grieving and it rocks you. Maybe it rocks you right to the core of your life. You're shaken. I reckon this might be a little bit how Samuel felt um, in this situation. Because he had anointed Saul as king. It's the most significant new initiative for centuries for the people of God. And the people had asked for a king, but definitely God was the one who had chosen and appointed him king. And things had started with um, such incredible promise. Uh, It was a new era for the nation of Israel. But the heart of the king has turned away from God. The heart of this new king that Samuel had anointed and God had appointed had actually turned away from God. And therefore, God has now rejected him as king. And so Samuel is in mourning and he goes into this deep, deep sadness. What's going to happen to the people of God? What about the disgrace that it's brought on the people of God? The ruler, the ruler of God's people has has turned away and it's dark time. And then we read... The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Stop mourning, Samuel. It was okay perhaps to mourn for a while, but I've rejected Saul as king and you've got to bring your emotions in line with my will. Fill your horn with oil. And uh, in those days, they would have a horn. I imagine it as a cow horn. Have you ever seen a a horn of a cow? Uh, And it's empty and you fill it with oil and you put a stop on it. And Samuel's got uh, a horn filled with oil. And this oil was for anointing. If you anointed someone, you are in God's name. If you're a prophet, you're anointing them for a purpose and you are placing God's strength and uh, God's 
hand on that person for future blessing. And so in the Bible, a horn is always a, a symbol of strength. Um, you know when you've got a bull and it's got big horns like that, that represents its great, great strength. And so this horn is a symbol when it's filled with oil of pouring strength on someone. And and God says to Samuel, I want to fill your I want you to fill your horn with oil. Samuel, your horn's been empty. It's been lying there empty, and it's like a picture of the emptiness of Israel, empty hopes, empty dreams. It looks like it's all finished, but God is now saying, Samuel, 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 fill your horn with oil. (laughs) There's a future blessing coming. I want you to go to Jesse. It says there, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And in another version of the Bible, it says, I have provided myself a king. I provided myself. In the past, the, the people had asked for a king. But now God's saying, I've actually provided myself a king from the sons of Jesse. So Samuel gets his horn. He fills it with oil. And we don't know who is going to be anointed. And so the tension is building here. Who is it? Who is it that is going to be the recipient of this oil? Samuel complains to God and he says, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And that was a real issue because Saul had been rejected as king. And if if Saul hears that Samuel's on his way to anoint someone else as king, Saul's going to come with his army and he's going to obliterate Samuel. And the Lord says, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint the one I indicate. I'll show you what to do, Samuel. You've just got to be totally obedient. (laughs) Anoint the one I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said. He arrived at Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled when they met him. And they asked, do you come in peace? Hmm. I like the fact that the elders of the town of Bethlehem trembled when Samuel came. Because, you know, very few people tremble at God. Very, very few tremble at God. Many people laugh at God. Many people scoff at God. Many people ignore God. But when Samuel, the man of God, the prophet of God, comes to Bethlehem, it says that, The elders trembled. He had no army. He had no sword. But they knew that this was a prophet of God and he carries the authority of God and they appreciated the awesome power of God. And when the prophet of God turns up in Bethlehem, the elders are trembling. Do you come in peace? I love the fact that the the one that God anoints as king comes from a community of people that tremble. A God. Samuel said, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. To consecrate means to totally dedicate yourself, totally give yourself to God. 
And so here in this situation, consecration probably means a washing and abstaining from sexual relations, and they consecrate themselves. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. The, the sacrifice proceeds, and Samuel could see what was, God was up to straight away. He, he saw this big, burly son of Jesse, Eliab, and he said to himself, this is God's man right here. I'm going to get my horn ready uh, to anoint him because this is the one for sure. Wow, look at this him. Look at this fella. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. And this is a key verse in this passage. God says to Samuel, Samuel, you're looking at the outward appearance. You're looking at his appearance, at his height. But the Lord doesn't look there. The Lord looks way, way, way past there. He looks all the way in to the human heart. And only God can see all the way into the human heart. Do you know when we walk into church and I walk into church, I've got a certain appearance. And you might say, wow, or not. (laughs) But God doesn't care what you look like. God, God, God looks way, way beyond you and you. We, look, we walk in here and here we are. We put on the outward show. But God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He's not looking at your outward appearance. Humans look at outward appearance. God looks all the way in to the heart. And when I think of our culture, the way our culture works, we are so obsessed with the outward appearance. You think of on Facebook, I am, this is who I am on Facebook. It's all outward appearance. And, and don't you envy my life because the outward appearance of who I am. Or you look on TV and all the people All those that are successful, all the football stars, all the fashion, all the people that are so witty and so clever and so eloquent, they're all, and and all the professors and all their brilliance, and it's all, we are obsessed with outward appearance. And God says, I don't even look at that. I'm looking at something else. I'm looking at the heart. The Lord looks underneath. And Jesse called the second son, Abinadab, and he made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse then made Shammah pass by Samuel and said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. Seven. I reckon Samuel must have been pretty perplexed because here he is, he arrives up here. The Lord has said that I'm going to anoint one of Jesse's sons. And and Samuel's got this message happening with him. He's a prophet, you see. 
And he's just got to, he's got to listen to God and he will not do anything that God does not tell him to do. And, and the seven go past and none. And so he asked the question, are these all the sons that you have? They're still the youngest. Jesse answered, he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. I think in Jesse's mind, the dad of all these sons, he is pretty proud of his great big sons. (laughs) He is pretty proud of them and he thinks they're going to be someone one day. They're, gonna, they're pretty impressive sons. And he's going to passing them through and he just can't wait for Samuel just to anoint one of these great big burly boys of his. They are going to be someone. And, he's, and even Samuel's eyes are thinking, one of these for sure. Look at them. They tower above little tiny David. In fact, David's not even worthy of inviting to the sacrifice. He's out with, he's not even worthy of a thought. I mean, that little boy, he, he won't make much. He'll never be much. He'll never amount to anything much. He can just stay out there and, and look after the sheep. But Samuel says, no, we won't sit down until he comes. So he sent for him and had him brought in and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance. Some versions of the Bible said that he was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. And Samuel went to Ramah. It's a very moving moment in the history of Israel. This little boy that no one can see any potential in. No one can see any use of him. Only God. God. Who looks at the heart. It's a deeply important moment in the history of Israel as well. Because Samuel, this is the first time the word David appears in the Bible. But I jumped on my computer this morning and I found that the last time it appears is in Revelation chapter 22. So right through the rest of the Bible, this is a name that pops up. And the kings that, have, that reign after the King David for the six or seven hundred years acknowledge that this king, this little boy that no one took any notice of, that was the least, and he was out looking after the sheep, it was this one that became the greatest king of all of Israel. And, and, and for six or seven hundred years, all the other kings would look back at this reign of this king as the greatest reign uh, that they'd ever known. And you remember a thousand years later, An angel comes to Mary and this is what the angel says. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus and he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him to the throne of his forefather, David. In other words, when Jesus eventually comes a thousand years later, he is the ultimate fulfillment of the greatest king of all. He is the, 
Here's the fulfillment of kingship. And he rules on David's throne. I love, I love the fact that when Jesus comes, I find this amazing. When Jesus comes, do you remember blind Bartimaeus? He was a blind man. He he was just totally blind and he had nothing. He probably had no wife, no family, no money, no anything. And he's just totally blind. And I'm just imagining him there groping around in the dust. Just no, he's a nobody. Blind Bartimaeus. And he hears that Jesus is coming past. And do you know what he cries out from his wherever he is? He cries out and he says, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. What is blind Bartimaeus saying? He's saying, I believe that you are the fulfillment of all that God has planned through all the centuries, Jesus. You are going to be the ultimate king. And although he's totally blind, he can see something of Christ that no one else can see. Many other people were blind to who Christ was, but blind Bartimaeus could see. And Jesus says, what do you want? And he says, Lord, I want to see. And he said, give you your sight and he could see four things four things this morning one is listen one is that God chooses the unknown and the weak that's what he does (laughs) he does not choose the thing the people that you think look fantastic and great He chooses the unknown and the weak. He chooses David, who's just tending his sheep out in the paddocks. David probably said to him, I know that there's a big sacrifice on today. And um, I know there's a big, I know the prophet's there today. But I don't really expect to be there. I don't expect to get invited. I've got this important job. I've got to care for my sheep. I'm caring for my little sheep. That's my job. And his eyes are not on himself. His eyes are not on his own greatness. His eyes are on the sheep. That is the kind of one that God wants as a king. Their eyes aren't on themselves. Their eyes aren't on their own kingdom. Their eyes are on not on their own greatness. Their eyes are on just what God has given them for that day. God loves to choose the weak. God loves to find someone that's hidden out in the paddocks just doing that. No one else takes any notice of them. Do you know when time finishes and, and we will see and Christ returns, do you know we are going to get some surprises? There are going to be some little people that no one's ever heard of. Just busily, just doing what they, God had told them to do while they lived and they served God. And we will get some surprises because God loves to choose the lowly and the weak. He loved to choose Joseph who was just in the lowest, lowest possible echelon in prison. And God pulls him out and makes him the ruler of Egypt. God loves to choose Gideon. God loves to choose Jesus of Nazareth. 
born to poor parents. Nazareth, a place that nothing good would ever come out of Nazareth. God loves to choose the weak. Number two, God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. Do you know Saul, the first king, outwardly he was tall. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was handsome. And he he, he loved to do all the outward stuff. All the religious stuff. He would do it to a T. Yeah, he could do the sacrifices, whatever's required. It's all external. It was external. He was religious. We can be religious. And it can be all external. God's not happy. God looks all the way down to the heart. And David had a heart after God. He's not after his own advancement. We, we can be so superficial. Oh, can we be superficial? We will be, it's like so superficial that we're just all empty on the outside. Yes, look at me. Yes, I'm all great. Yes, I'm, I'm superficial. Just incredibly superficial. Our society can be superficial. And God bypasses all that and he says, I look at the heart. And that is what God is doing in Christ is he's changing us from a superficial community that just care about outward things and all the external superficial things, and he's going and putting us in us a new heart, changing us to be people that are genuine, people of integrity, people of love, people of courage, people of character. And God cares all the way down there where no one else sees He cares about our heart. Number one, God chooses what's unknown and weak. Number two, God looks at the heart. But number three, God chooses a shepherd. Do you know David was out in the fields, in the paddocks, just tending his sheep? He was looking out for their protection. His eyes were not on himself. Do you know he had an eye for the vulnerable and the weak? That's the sort of person God says, that's the one. Someone that cares for the vulnerable and the weak. Those that cannot care for themselves. He cares for the vulnerable and the weak. And I'm going to take him from the sheep fields and put him on the throne... Because he will be the shepherd of my people for those that are vulnerable and weak. Do you know God cares for his people? And he places over them shepherds. Even the word pastor is the same word as shepherd. So God places pastors and shepherds. And God is placing David over Israel because David had the heart for the people. He cared for them. He cared for them with kindness and gentleness. God has great compassion on you and on me because he places over us Christ as our great, great shepherd. And do you know there's great tenderness in Christ? Maybe sometimes you think, oh, he wouldn't care for me. Maybe you think he wouldn't notice me. 
Maybe you think that I'm not that important and he wouldn't, he wouldn't come down and care for my needs and my pain and my brokenness and my lostness and, and, and my confusion and my darkness. And God has placed the great shepherd, who is Christ, as king over all. And he cares for you. Yes, he does. Individually, where you are at. Your troubles, your burdens. He's coming and he's carrying you. It says in Isaiah 40 that God comes and he picks up his, his lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his chest. Look, that is what the Lord is doing with you. With great love and great strength, he's carrying you as a shepherd. Protecting you from the wolves, leading you to good pasture, giving you water to drink. God chooses the unknown and the weak. God looks at the heart. God places a shepherd over us, number three. But number four and lastly, I want to think of Jesus as the true king. Listen to what it says in this very last verse. It says in verse 13, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So the Spirit of the Lord comes. Just incredible power on David. From that day forward, for the rest of his life, the Spirit of the Lord rested on this man. And this puts him in a whole different category. The Spirit of God has come on him. And do you know David's kingdom advanced in tremendous power? He had great military authority. And with a heart for God, he saw the the advancement of the kingdom of God and the people of God happen in unprecedented ways. When Jesus, a thousand years later, comes and he commences his ministry, he was baptised. He goes out into the desert and is tempted for 40 days by the devil. And then he comes back and he goes into a synagogue. And do you know what he says? He pulls out the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And this is what he quotes to everyone. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now get this, get this. The spirit rushes on King David when he's anointed and in his life he's transformed and he's advancing the kingdom of God. But here the true king comes. The Holy Spirit comes on him in power and he gets up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why, Jesus? Why is the spirit of the Lord on you? To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty for the captives and the opening of the prison for those that are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the spirit, faint spirit, and that they might be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Look, when Christ comes, the true and better David, the ultimate king, when he comes, the spirit of the Lord is on him. What for? What for? To advance the kingdom, the kingdom of light. There is a kingdom of darkness out there. Have you seen Syria lately? 
Have you seen what Mr. Jericho is telling us about the prisons in Zimbabwe, the darkness? Have you seen what, what, what darkness there is in our own city, in houses, and terrible people in bondage and brokenness? And, and do you see? And Christ is saying, I, the Spirit of the Lord, is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He is breaking the power of darkness. He's coming in light and in truth and in incredible power. This is Christ. He is, he, all the, the, the dark kingdom, God in Christ is forcing it back. And he is calling each one of us into that kingdom. He's saying to you, will you come and have me as your king? Each one of us, Christ is claiming and saying, will you come? Will you allow me to rule over you with great authority? And when I rule over you, I will give you a new heart, a heart after me. And when I rule over you, I will cleanse you of your filth. And when I rule over you, I will empower you with the spirit. And when I rule over you, I will provide for you. I'll protect you. I'll do everything for you. Will you, will you allow me to rule over you as a king? And that's what he is doing. This very day, he's calling a people. Will you, and I'm so I'm asking you this morning, every individual here, will you allow this great king to rule? No longer your kingdom, no longer your way, no longer your thing, but this great king, Christ, ruling your lives. Look, Christ comes as a shepherd. Yes, he does. He's the shepherd king. He tends for our deepest needs. He comes to our greatest brokenness, our greatest vulnerabilities. But he is calling us that we would have him rule, rule over our lives. This morning, I'm asking you, will you take this one, Christ, as your king? Take him. He is the greatest king. He will empower you. He will protect you. He will do everything for you. Rebel against him and it's to your own destruction. But when he is your king, his protection is for you and his provision is for you. He doesn't want um, a people that reject him like Saul does and just do their own thing. He rejects them. But when we know that this king is king and we trust him as king. Wow, what a glorious king he is. And he is building his kingdom that we might be useful in his hands for his kingdom to spread in our city, in our region, in our world. That's what he longs for. Let me pray. Lord, we declare your kingship. You've already been anointed king and you rule and there'll come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. There'll come a day when you come back, Lord Jesus, and the reality of your kingly rule will make us tremble. Tremble with joy or tremble with fear. But Lord, may we be those that are under your kingly rule that we might be glad on the day of your coming. We want to rejoice in your power, the power of your might. And we praise you and honour you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.